0: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture with me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Kashayar J Kabashani on his debut novel, I will greet the sun again. Kashayar J Kabashani was born in Van Nuys, Los Angeles in 1992. During his childhood, he spent time in Iran and was later raised in the United States. He graduated from the MFA Creative Writing Program at Columbia University and currently lives in California. And his first novel, I Will Greet the Sun Again, is what we're talking about today. Cash, welcome to Little Atoms.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Neil.
1: First of all, can you tell me how you would describe the novel?
2: I would describe the novel as, it seems to me, as I look back at it now, and it seems to me the, the narrator, K, on a kind of very intimate level, I guess, to describe it, is, is somebody who really wants to show what it's like to not only to be, you know, to, to be queer, to be Iranian American, to be Muslim, but also what it's like to to be young and I guess to be young and insensitive and, and everything that growing up entails, uh, whether it's falling in love for the first time. Um, he's also the youngest of, of three boys. So what it means to be the youngest brother, a son, and to have, immigrant parents who we both is really wanting to get to know and and making an, an attempt to but is unable to for for different reasons so i that's kind of the way i i look at it if if i were to kind of put it into into one sentence it's like one of, i think it's a novel that attempts to describe and show what it's like to be young in, in the 90s and it's the turn of the millennium
1: so this is, it's a novel, right? This is not a, a book of autofiction, but the main character, Kay, shares quite a lot of biographical details with yourself. So I want to talk about, to one extent, your own experience illuminated Kay's story.
2: Yeah, it's a great point its a great point and question that you bring up, and it's one that I've thought about myself quite often because you, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of biographical details that I share with Kay, and I guess I started with with those details to inform the story. But the the significant departure from what would be, let's say, a book of of nonfiction, or or even as you say, as as autofiction, is re having the chance to reimagine and recreate a life that was very different than my own. Of course, similar as we said, like similar details and there are some things that I share in common with Kay, but when I look at the narrator and and the way that he moves through his, his youth and clearly his, his willingness to connect with his, his closest friend, his neighbor, who's, who's called Johnny, you know, these are, these are things that I didn't have the opportunity to experience myself as a young person. And so it was a great, it was just really lovely to kind of create, use the form of the novel to create that world that in a way I, I wish I would have been able to experience myself.
1: So tell us who Kay is then when we first meet him. The book is set over a number of years, less than 10 years, but a number of years. So who is he at the beginning of the book?
2: Yeah, it opens up, he's he's nine years old. Uh, and as I said, he's he's the youngest of, of three boys. They they live in a an apartment complex. I, I guess in the UK, we'd call it, council housing or public housing but in uh in the states we call it you know i, I don't know if this term still holds up but section 8 housing or government assisted housing whatever term we want to use and and uh, so that's that's where he lives with his mother and father and and two older brothers and he is somebody that loves playing basketball loves exploring you know although it's a very confined and at times claustrophobic world within this apartment complex and within the actual apartment. It also uh, seems like for him, it's he enjoys going out in the mornings when the book first opens up, him describing what it's like to be away from his family, even though there's not much distance. But nonetheless, it still feels like an adventure for him, getting to go out in the corridor, getting to go see Johnny and, that's who we meet when the when the book first opens up in that. And like I said, in, in a world that both feels very claustrophobic, but also expansive for him.
1: And this is, although, as you said, in the early chapter, certainly he doesn't go very far away. He's not allowed to go very far from the apartment. But this is uh, Los Angeles in the 1990s, and it's obviously a very long way from the, the movie star Los Angeles. Um, I'm so, so tell glad us... you
2: say that, Neil. I'm 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 sorry to to cut you off, but I that was like really important for me because I I remember I remember as a young person feeling like there's all this narrative around Los Angeles about as you said the the movies that come from it and and everything else that entails like what it's like to be in Hollywood and Santa Monica even you know all these sort of glamorized parts of Los Angeles, but yeah. Where the story takes place, we call it the Valley, the San Fernando Valley, and, and even the valley itself is is quite massive. And this is like the very western part of it. And there's not much there's not much happening for him on the outside, and so he's he really makes use both of what's there, but also in a way uses his imagination to sort of fill in the details of an otherwise like quiet place.
1: And his friends, you mentioned Johnny, and we'll come back to the the other family members in a minute. But just while we're talking about the particular area, to what extent are like you know his friends Johnny and Christian sort of representative of the people that would live in one of these you know housing projects or this particular area of the valley?
2: Yeah, I am amazed at the uh, at the diversity that existed within and continues to exist in a space like that in. Los Angeles, it seems to be predominantly immigrant families, Mexican-American families, Korean-American, Chinese-American, Puerto Rican-American. You know, Puerto Ricans are technically American, but it to me, that was really important to, to show and, and include because it's also, although Kay and his brothers are Iranian-American, I think there are a lot of similarities that Christian, Johnny and, and Kay and, and his brothers share, even though their parents are coming from, you know, very different parts of the world.
1: And so tell us something about his his older brothers, Sean and Justin, who are they?
2: Yeah, Sean and Justin, uh, I, I guess Kay and, and Sean really relate um, mostly with, with basketball. Uh, Sean is really somebody that devotes himself to the game and when I look at Sean and think of him as a character, I, I see him as somebody who uses basketball as a as a vehicle, as a portal to not just cope with, but find a place for himself. You know, they have a they share a very complicated, at times tender but violent and and abusive father and a mother who's working and putting herself through school and isn't really available for the boy. So so I I see Sean as as the older brother that kind of is encouraging Kay by example of like you know. We can find a way out of this, and and for Sean, that way is is basketball. And and Justin, I think the similarities that he and Kay share Justin also has a deep sensitivity and not just an awareness of the issues that are going on in their lives, but a kind of rightful rage and anger about the circumstances. And and he demonstrates for for Kay, and you know, he crafts his own way of making it out of those. Circumstances. So when I see these two brothers, I see them as really K admiring and looking to them for, for ways to learn how they can sort of transcend the difficult circumstances they're living in.
1: I thought it was very poignant with Sean that, you know, as you said, they're obsessed with basketball and they're knowledgeable enough to know that basketball can get you to college, you know, could be a way out of the situation that they're in. And he's really good at it, but he's five foot five.
2: Yeah, 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 that was that was something that really amazed me is this person who yeah, doesn't have, I guess, what we would call like the natural talents, one of those being at a very important natural talent being height. But there is there's a particular scene where Sean plays, has a pickup game with uh, here in the States. We'd, we'd call somebody who's like on their way to playing at a, a very elite college and possibly on their way to making it to professional basketball. When they're graduating high school, there's this class where they're called the, the All American team. And there's a moment in the book where Sean playing one on one against a player who's been chosen for the All American team. He, Sean beats this basketball player and, and for Kay to observe that and watch that despite Sean's, uh, stature and, and height, I think was like this really celebratory moment for Kay to see like, okay, maybe he's, maybe my brother's not going to make it. All the way, and yet he's still because of how much time he's devoted to this. He's still sort of able to have his his moment.
1: And just tell us something. I mean, you've mentioned a few things, but just tell us something about Kay's father and mother, uh his Baba and Maman, as they're called in the book.
2: Yeah, Baba. You know, one of the one of the challenges, and you know, because the the novel is written not only from the point of view of, of a young person, but it's all told in the present tense, and so. Me as the writer, there are certain things that I understood about Baba, his his past, both in Iran, but but coming to the states as a as an engineering student, studying in New York, and seemingly having a whole life before marrying Maman going back to Iran and and marrying Mamon. and and so I guess the reader is learning about Baba as Kay is learning certain things about him, and Baba falls into addiction and, and gambling in in particular, and Also refuses to work, um, which brings up all kinds of complications, of course. And Maman is is quite younger than than her husband. She she has these three boys, and is is a young mother. and And I think at one point in the novel, Kate kind of mentions how there are moments where he sees Maman more as an an older sister rather than a mother. and And I think that sort of insight really encapsulate encapsulates her character in the sense that like I remember a friend sort of remarked that in a way it's this novel also speaks to her own coming of age and and I think that's very apt I think Moman is especially being in a new in a foreign country being in America um, having to look after three boys but also like learning things about herself and what it means to have left Iran and Kay doesn't explicitly share this but as as the writer and a reader what we understand is like this is post the 1979 revolution this is following the hostage crisis that happened in tehran and you know these are all factors that may not come to the surface in this book but are informing particularly momon and Baba's
0: characters hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place
1: You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Kashayar J. Kabashani. We're talking about his new novel, "I Will Greet the Sun Again." And Kash, at a certain point in the novel, um, Baba takes the three boys back to Iran. Tell us something about why.
2: Yeah, he. Uh, it's sort of his um, his last attempt to to keep the family in the kind of mold that he believes the family should be in um i mean it's it's so heartbreaking when i think about this because on on one hand it's like mama's going to school she's working she's trying to raise her sons she's doing everything like a person you know that you would hope for a parent to do and yet in in bobo's sort of distorted world you know this is going against what he would want for his Wife uh, for the mother of his children, and, and so he he decides to take the boys back to Iran as a way to lure her back to the country. Most notably because uh, were Mama to go back to Iran once she discovers that the her sons have been taken, her ability to have her independence and freedom. And again, when I say independence and freedom, like I mean like going to school and and working that would be would be taken from her and i think in babo's mind he sees it as an opportunity to really exert the kind of control that he wants uh over his family
1: what are your own memories of spending time in iran when you were young
2: oh, i i remember going into it with all of these like preconceived notions about what the country is like and what the people are like because of you know what i had heard from my father and and even from my from my mother. And of course, on one hand, stepping into this, this country with a long history of a specific culture and, and ways of living. And, and so that was, on one hand, a big shock for me as a young boy. But on the other hand, I also remember being shocked by all the similarities, like, especially once you start, once I started speaking and getting to know the neighbors and our extended family. I was amazed that, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away and there's all these things you hear from the news about Iran. And yet the people there seem to be very much interested in the same things that me and my brothers were. That was the thing that really stuck out to me the most is like, I guess it was a big lesson that regardless of where you go in the world, the flavors of it and and the colors and all that might look differently. But at the end of the day, like youth is going to be youth.
1: Obviously, this story is, uh, I guess, a queer coming out story for Kay, but we also see the older generation existing in, obviously, in post-revolutionary Iran. Uh, We meet an aunt who's clearly a queer character, and also potentially, I won't go into too much detail on this, but there's potentially another one another major character as well and so i guess we could talk about what the situation would have been like for for Khaled, the aunt back in post revolutionary iran
2: yeah i mean we're we're talking about somebody that you know and and obviously you know in in recent news and you know i don't, I don't want to get too uh, emotional thinking about it but you know there's just innocent people and in particular women, you know, women being being murdered, uh, there's no other way to, to say it. And and this is something that um, as you said, the uh, the boy's aunt is contending with as well. And and to have your life be taken from you in in the current regime, it could happen for many reasons. And one of those being, yeah, if you're queer and and I mean it's it's one thing to be in a relationship and to be discovered that you're having a relationship, but even even if you if it's announced or if it's known that these are desires that you have could be a threat, could bring a threat to your life. So that's what she's contending with, and yet in her own quiet way, I mean, even reading, uh, you know, the title comes from Farouk Fadagzad's poem "I Will Be the Sun Again," and and, and at one point, Khala reads Farugzad for for Kay when they're together in Iran, like, and even that gesture itself is very dangerous to read poetry, you know, written by someone who, who spoke about desire and, and the female body and, and sex and all, all these things. And and so, though Khaled does it in private, secretive ways, I think it's still a celebratory feat that she's willing to do those things.
1: And we also get to see Kay's experience of post-9-11 USA so again I'm gonna ask you to tell us what you remember of the um late 2001
2: I remember yeah I can remember the morning of so distinctly you know like as the news I mean I was in California so I, so we were getting it three hours we would have been three hours ahead of of New York and it's like you see these on the on the news channels you see the sort of progression where at first in New York even people who were recording what was happening like it wasn't first maybe some error that had happened in the twin towers especially in the first one like something had gone awry but i think by the time yeah by the time the second airplane had crashed into the building if i'm remembering correctly that's when it became very clear that this was something very deliberate and and then going and being dropped off at school that morning and and there being a school-wide assembly and the principal explaining to us what was going on. And sort of Kay talks about this a bit in as he's rendering this experience in the novel. But even me, I, I remember like back to your question about the the kinds of people I, I grew up with and the the experiences, often difficult experiences that myself and, and my closest friends were having. Like I, I just remember being in a way that when COVID-19 came and lockdown came, I, I bring that up because similarly to 9-11, it had felt like obviously nothing on that kind of massive scale had happened in my personal life where so many people and so many lives were were taken. But in a way, I it sounds crazy, but I remember even as a young person, like not really being shocked. It just seemed like Destruction was something that had been kind of coded into my body, and and not just me, but even even some of my friends around me. It was like, yeah, this is don't you know, it sounds kind of bleak, but it was just like, yeah, this is what this is what happens. Um, this is like yet another example of of the destruction that can happen in our lives.
1: It finishes off. Can I get you to read us a bit?
2: Yeah, um, it's a it's a few pages. I hope that's okay. And and you speak to earlier. You mentioned Kay's sort of coming out, and I wanted to read a chapter where he, for the first time, acts on his desire for for Johnny, and it seems like a really important uh, important chapter, so here it is. My feet reach the bottom, and I start to walk toward Johnny, my body moving close slowly, wading in the water. He's sitting by the civil rail that drops into the pool, his knees tucked into his chest, and as I get closer, he slides over making room for me on the steps. The heavy swoosh of the water pushes up his trunks, showing the beginning of his thighs where his skin is a little lighter. Over there in the deep end, Christian and Sean are jumping in and climbing back out, using the smack of their bodies to churn out waves. The water laps onto our stomachs. I watch as the thick black hairs on Johnny's shins brush underneath, wishing that one day my legs would look like his. With the sun almost gone the chill of dusk settles into our skin, our bodies rattling and legs drifting, knees gently rocking and then touching where Johnny keeps them pressed against mine. Quiet. Strings like red confetti are scattered in the white of his eyes. I can feel their sting in my own. You shouldn't open them underwater, I say. He lifts his hand and scratches and rubs at his eyelids, as if they'll make the red go away. Let's get out, I tell him. It's getting cold. Johnny moves the back of his body up the steps, and I do the same, both of us leaning with our palms on the concrete edge. I let my hands flatten into the chilled puddles of water, my fingers stretching and inching toward his. We finally bought a PlayStation, I tell Johnny. I say that he should come over. He chuckles. To play video games? Plus, I tell him, picking at the loose fabric on my shorts. My mom isn't home. As he stands up, I do the same. And we don't dry ourselves because we didn't bring towels. We never do. Sean and Christian are watching as we leave through the pool's rusted pink gate. Come over after you guys are done, Johnny shouts. We'll be chilling here, Christian says. Sean nods his head at me, smiles as he lands another cannonball into the pool, the biggest splash he's made yet, so that the water reaches us through the gate. Johnny is laughing. How does your brother get his tiny ass body to make such a massive splash? Once we're alone, walking toward the apartment, It's hard to know what to say. If Christian were here with us, he'd do the talking. Would probably even laugh if he saw how quiet I'm being. So I search through my mind, looking for a story I can bring back from those nights by the staircase. wouldn't Johnny know that I'm just stealing lines, pretending they're mine? I lead us through the same hallway we've wandered through so many times before. And though I know this place, and for years it's been home, now it's different and new. The corridors that have always felt too long or shorter, as if i have become bigger. The thin lines of yellow running along the stucco walls, feeling sharper against my fingertips. Once we're inside, I show them our PlayStation and put in the one game we own, Need for Speed. I wait for it to load, both of us sitting on my bed, staring at the screen. My legs are shaking. I give Johnny the line I've practiced from before, planning it for an afternoon like this one. After swimming, knowing Mama isn't home, knowing she won't be for a while and that Justin is out with his friends. Think I'm going to go take a bath before we start, I tell Johnny. Get this nasty smell of chlorine off me. I'll be here, he says, without looking up. In the bathroom, I look for something to make bubbles with, reaching over to twist open the faucet. Then I step back and lean against the door, pushing my ear into it, listening as Johnny paces around the room. The faucet joining on and on. I slide down my shorts and I notice myself growing, now hard. I start to touch myself, and there's a loud thump against the door, breaking through the noise of the running water. The thump becomes more. Johnny knocking on the other side. I put my shorts back on. Open the door all the way, and he steps in. Got bored in there, he says, looking down at the tag sticking out from the front of my shorts. Smiling. He leaps up and onto the sink, stringing the yo-yo he picked up from my bed. Haven't messed with one of these in a while, he says. They can't still gravity pull. Steam crawls up the mirror behind him, and I'm glad. I don't want to see the red glow I know my cheeks now have. The water rises to the brim of the tub, almost overflowing. I shut off the faucet and look into the tub. Johnny's eyes are digging through the back of my shoulders. I can feel them. looks like it's blue inside, I tell him. Doesn't it? Johnny nods. This goes to the old pipes, he tells me. Makes the water blue, but I kind of like it. He says, feels like you're on your own pool. By the time you're done staring, it's going to get cold, he says. So again, I slide off my shorts, turning my back to him, untangle my ankles, raise my foot over and dip my toes into the tub.
1: So I've been talking to Kashaya J. Kabashani. We've been talking about his novel, I Will Greet the Sun Again, which is out in the UK from Penguin Viking. Kash, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with me.
2: Neil, it was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented, and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by ACAST and published by 89Up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening.
0: For free shipping and 365-day returns. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.